Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Some of you, you're going to hear stuff that you've heard in the past. Others of you, you're going to be hearing stuff maybe for the very first time. But I would like everyone to position themselves and posture yourself to receive what I'm going to be teaching this morning as if it's the first time you're hearing it. I'm literally doing something this weekend that I have never done in 20 years in ministry. Uh, so many times on a Wednesday night, after I'm done teaching and we'll be in the car on the way home, my wife will say to me, man, that was an awesome teaching. You need to, that's a Sunday teaching. You really need to teach it on the weekend. That's something that the rest of the congregation needs to hear. And I'd say, well, I, can't teach, I can't teach everything on the weekends. You know, I got to teach some stuff on Wednesday nights. She said, but you know, said, this teaching here, everybody in church needs to hear it. And I've been listening to this for years. Well, this time, it's kind of struck with me because I recognize that, that, that this, what I've been teaching on Wednesday nights for the past month or so really does need to be deposited in the hearts of every individual here for two reasons. Number one, to stir some things up in those of us that operated in this principle in the past. And number two, to deposit this um, very critical foundational belief in the hearts of those of you that are newcomers to Christianity. Maybe you just come into the, this thing called um, being a Christian. Maybe you've just received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you just started coming to church. For whoever that is, I, I want you to receive this as something that's very important. I, I'm trusting God that I'll be able to, with the power of the Holy Spirit, be able to convey to you in a very clear and very uh, practical way how we are to apply this teaching today. So, the incentive for this teaching, the motivation for me to teach it, even though when I was teaching on Wednesday nights, was coming from an observation that I've made. And, and, and please hear my heart when I'm going to make this observation. I'm not saying this to bring any kind of guilt or condemnation. I'm just making an observation. When I became a Christian 33 years ago, I was so grateful that I, God set me in a church where the Word of God was being taught very strongly and very, very practically and very... Um, uh, solid, in a very solid way. And the emphasis was on faith. And a lot of us operated in faith. And, you know, the, everybody I knew in church operated in faith. And when I say that, you'll understand a little bit more. In other words, we were stupid enough, or maybe I should say innocent enough, or to just take God at His word. Even when it didn't seem like it was practical, even when it seemed like it didn't make sense, we, we knew to take God at His word. We would stand and believe God for, for whatever was needed in our life, whether it was an attack that was coming against us in health or marriage being attacked or finances being attacked or, or whatever it was. We would stand and we would believe God and we would see the victory and we would see God bring us through that. And it's been that way. This has been a lifestyle for my wife and I and for our family for decades. But over the past five to eight years, and I I know it's not taking place just here. It's just a church world in general. You seem, it seems like people backed off of that kind of faith. It seems like people, uh, believers, or Christians, I should say, because if you're operating in faith, you're a believer. Uh, but it seemed like Christians were just willing to lay back and just play dead and let the devil just run right over them. And it shouldn't be that way. And I kind of, it seemed like the Lord was impressing upon me 
that the main reason that was happening is because people did not have a very clear understanding, number one, of how precious it is to be able to operate in faith. Number two, what the purpose of faith really is for. So I'm venturing this morning to lay kind of a foundation, and over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about this topic of faith. I want to start in the book of Genesis. I need us to see what the reason to operate in faith is from the very beginning. Now, I'm a firm believer of this. Many people say, well, Pastor, how do you know how to, how to interpret the Bible and, and how do we know what the Bible is trying to say? Let me just, you know, and, and how about this teacher and that teacher? Let me throw this out at you because I'm a firm believer of this principle. If you're listening to anyone teaching, whether it's on TV or somebody gives you a, a CD or whatever it is on your computer or you're reading a book, Whatever doctrine, whatever teaching is being presented must find its roots in the book of Genesis. Everything that is important in the word of God starts in the book of Genesis and kind of weaves its way through the entire Bible. If you can find whatever a person is teaching in the book of Genesis, we should be okay. All right? So let's start in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to have to read a lot of scripture, so I need you to really pay attention and really follow me. Uh, very closely and quickly. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat of it from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the gar in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, which is a lie, because we already were like God. God had already created Adam and Eve like God. They were created in his image and his likeness. So the enemy was not presenting anything to her that she didn't have already. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings. Thank God it wasn't poison ivy. And made coverings for themselves. <laughs> that would have been a whole other deal. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I, so I, where am I? So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, thank God for this great man, full of character. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It's her fault. And really what he's saying is it's your fault because you put her here. I was good before she showed up. <laughs> now God turns to the woman. What is this you have done? The woman said the serpent, the devil made me do it. And I ate. So this is the very first instance of anyone being thrown under the bus. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust, which tells me that before this happened, the serpent didn't crawl on its belly. And I'm saying that to say this to you. We truly do not comprehend how much sin has done 
to our planet, to the animal kingdom, to mankind. You see, because we've born into it and we think this is normal. But the world today resembles nothing of the original creation. All right, we could talk more about that, but that's not the teaching. Okay, we'll talk about that another time. So, then he goes on to say in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. This is really prophetically speaking about in the future when Jesus would show up in the scene. He will crush your head, and Jesus did that at the cross, and you will strike his heel, and the devil did that to Jesus at the cross. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, which tells me that it wasn't supposed to be that way in the beginning. But sin affected these things. He said, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, which tells me it wasn't supposed to be that way in the beginning. The life that we live today that we think is normal is not normal. Not according to God's standards. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground, which tells me that previously the ground was what? Blessed. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles, which tells me that it didn't produce thorns and thistles prior to that. And you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are and dust you will return, which tells me we were not supposed to return to the ground. All of these things came as a result of sin. Now, you and I might say, and I've asked myself this question many times over the years, what does this have to do with me? I wasn't there. I didn't eat the fruit. So I researched this question. Why do I face the consequences of Adam's sin when I didn't eat the fruit? And the first scripture that I found is Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. We've all sinned. Adam allowed sin to come into the world. When he did, he immediately died spiritually. And he, died, he did not die physically immediately because physical death could not take place unless spiritual death takes place. So he died spiritually. His spirit died on the inside. He went from being righteous, being in relationship with the Father, to becoming unrighteous and a sinner. You and I are born sinners with sin nature. And yet we come to Christ and we come by faith and we put our trust in him and immediately we receive spiritual life. The process is the exact opposite of what it was to begin with. I hope you're catching that. See, you've got to be born physically once, but we also need to be born spiritually so that we avoid separation from God for all of eternity. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he said to Nicodemus, and maybe you've read it in John chapter 3, verse 7, he said to, he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, it blew his mind. What do you mean? Can I climb back into my mother's room? I'm an old man. And Jesus went on to explain the difference between being born physically and being born spiritually, being born of above or from above, being born anew, being born again, whatever you want to call it, the new birth, it's all 
the same principle. Just as you and I inherit physical characteristics from our parents and we inherit DNA and things of this nature, we also inherit spiritual characteristics. The Bible says that not only are we sinners just because we're born, but we're sinners because we practice sin. You know, we want to blame Adam for everything, but let me ask you this question. The last time you went through a red light and a cop was there and he pulled you over and gave you a ticket, was that Adam's fault? <laughs> Come on, we don't, we, don't go, we don't want to blame Adam. Oh man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have it out with Adam. Well, guess what? You would have did the same thing if you were there, so don't get so crazy. Now, I want to just throw some statistics at you because I, I truly do not believe that we really, truly, really, really, really understand what sin has done to mankind and what it does to us. I looked up these statistics and according to the health insurance industry, this is mind-blowing, the health insurance industry has 68,000 code numbers each one of those code numbers identify a different disease. 68,000. Now, I got a problem with this. Because God didn't put any disease in the garden. Sin did. Worldwide, there's 767 million people that live with less than $1.90 per day. 2.1 billion people live on less than $3.10 per day. 328 million children are living in extreme poverty. I got a problem with this because there was no poverty in the garden. At least 17 million children suffer with some type of malnutrition around the world. A severe, severe acute malnutrition is the direct cause of death for 1 million children every, every year. Every day, 1,000 children under the age of 5 die from diarrhea, dysentery, and cholera. There was no diarrhea, dysentery, and cholera in the garden. Amen. Globally, according to statistics, 300 million people of all ages suffer from depression. There was no depression in the garden. It showed up as a result of sin. Now, the average individual would come to the conclusion and say, wow, God, you left us a mess here on this earth. Mm, that's the furthest thing from the truth. You see... Adam and Eve's original sin, and I know many of us are very familiar with that term, original sin. The sin had nothing to do with eating a piece of fruit. And you know, it seems like man, uh, man's humanistic philosophy of the way of thinking about things and the way of presenting religion and presenting all this other garbage always wants to keep the word of God in a very infantile, almost like fable and myth concept. You know, we see that picture of this man and woman, you know, they always have like a, a branch covering, you know, certain parts of the body. So, you know, but you get the idea they're supposed to be naked and holding this apple. They're both looking at each other like, what the heck did we just do? So that you won't take serious the consequence of what really took place. You think God, as big as he is, the creator of the universe, created everything that's seen and unseen, just had it in for them because she took a bite out of a piece of fruit? That wasn't the issue. The issue was this that Adam and Eve took the trust and the confidence that had, they previously had in God the Father and took that confidence because of a lie that they believed and took that faith and took that trust and placed it in the enemy. 
they literally took the suggestion of the devil that God was trying to withhold something for them, they took that to heart. If they had not taken that to heart, there would have been no temptation to eat that fruit. Eve literally was tricked by the devil into thinking that she was lacking something and that God was withholding something. That is a serious issue. To misjudge the character of God is an extremely serious issue. And so the, 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 the whole sin here is not about eating a piece of fruit. The sin here is that when you and I take our confidence from God Almighty, especially those of us that know the word and know what he's promised us and know his track record, and when we choose to believe the voice of fear, when we choose to believe the voice of intimidation, when we choose to believe the voice of doubt, when we choose to believe what the enemy is saying rather than what God has already said, that's the issue. Are you hearing me? That's the issue. And so what happened here? Did God just, because if you look at the earth, if you look at history, if you look at the amount of people that have been de destroyed through wars, if you look at what disease has done, there was a time period in Europe where the population almost got wiped out due to disease that was traveling on mice. When you look at history, you think to yourself, God abandoned this earth to be destroyed. Yet I want to present something to you. Because God is love, because he's a God of compassion, because he's a God who's faithful to his word, even when we're faithless, God did not abandon us. God did not abandon Adam and Eve. God has not abandoned us at that time. Jesus did not abandon us when he left this earth. You see, when Jesus left the earth previous to that, just on the night before he's going to the cross, he says to his disciples, I'm going, but I'm not leaving you like orphans. I'm going to give you another one just like me, but in a different form. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. He didn't leave us like orphans then. God didn't leave us as orphans in the garden. Here's what I want you to understand. God gave the force of faith, the supernatural ability to be able to bring the promises of God from the realm of the spirit into the realm of the natural. That happens when you and I put our faith in what God has said he will do on our behalf. So what does that tell me? It tells me this, that faith has been given to us in response to sin. Faith has been given to us in response to the fact that if you now, being born in sin, being born with sin nature, at some point in your life, God gives you the possibility and gives you the power and gives you the ability to make the right choice so that you don't have to go to hell just like everybody else, that your faith will take you off of that path, off of that conveyor belt that's automatic. See, to go to hell, you don't have to do anything but be born. You're born going to hell. But we've got to do something to get off that track. Can you give me John chapter 1, please? Look at this verse of Scripture. But as many as received him, talking about Jesus, to them he gave the right to become what? Children of God. To those who do what? Believe in his name. Believe in his name. Here it is right here. How does a person get off that conveyor belt that's going to hell? We receive Christ. We receive him as our Lord and Savior. He then gives us the right to become children of God. 
And then he, he reiterates, if you didn't get it the first time, he kind of repeats the concept. And he qualifies. To those who do what? Believe. Come on, guys. To those who do what? Believe. Believe. What is belief? Having faith. So faith brings us to the place where the grace of God can be activated in our lives. And that freed you to salvation. So, so we could say it this way. Faith exists for two reasons. Number one, to obtain salvation. You don't go to heaven because you're such a hot shot. You don't go to heaven. Because I know some people, they go through life and they believe the stupidest thing. Well, you know, I never killed anybody. Well, you know, I never, I never took any drugs. You know, I never drank alcohol. I never stole anything from anyone. You know, I've always been good to people. I've always smiled. I've always helped people. I've always been charitable. Well, whoop de doo You'll be the cleanest person in hell. <laughs> and that angers people. Well, what do you mean? I'm not like the drug addicts that are in your church. I'm not like the alcoholics that are in your church. You know, I'm not like, the, like those, those people. No. You're a clean sinner. It should be that easy. But let me ask you this question. If a person could live life good enough to gain heaven, then why did Jesus go to the cross? He got a bum deal. Because the Bible teaches us it's because he went to the cross on our behalf that you and I have any hope of seeing heaven. What am I saying? I'm saying this. When you and I take our faith that God has given us and we use it in a very supernatural way and that supernatural way I'm talking about is that we take that faith and we place, see faith doesn't do anything unless it's placed somewhere. So when you and I take that faith and we place it in the fact that Jesus went to the cross on our behalf and then, and then that God the Father in heaven accepted that sacrifice as if you were the one that died on the cross. When we put our trust in that fact, when we place our faith in that, faith in that fact, something supernatural is activated instantaneously. But it only happens by faith. Well, Pastor, you know, what about grace? Yeah, yeah. It's God's grace that he gave us the ability to be able to believe him. Because it doesn't come from you. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read this to you. Follow it on the screen. But God, who was rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, in other words, even when we were still in sin, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been what? Saved. Through what? Faith. And it is not of yourselves, it is a what? gift of God. I want to stop right there. It is a gift of God. It is a gift of God. What's a gift of God? Faith is a gift of God. God so loved you and me and Adam and everybody in between that he did not leave us here on this planet to be at the mercy of the enemy who has no mercy on mankind. He gave you the ability to believe. He gave me the ability to believe. That when we trust him, and when we say what he says about a situation, it activates 
the grace of God to come and rescue you out of that situation. Everything that is contrary to God's will on this planet came as a result of sin. Everything that's on this planet that came as a result of sin, that is contrary to the will of God, can be changed when you and I operate in faith. Are you, are you listening to me? Every single one. Jesus made it real simple. Jesus said, the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy. So everything that falls under that category, I don't know why people have this hard time. Well, you know, Pastor, I don't know if God's the one who did this to me. What are you talking about? What category does it fall under? Does it fall under robbing, killing, destroying? Guess what? It's the devil. If it falls under life and life more abundantly, duh, it's God. Well, I just don't understand, you know, how, how, this, how God allowed this to happen. Wait a second. Wouldn't God allowed what to happen? Adam allowed it to happen. When something happens to you, the most foolish thing you can say is, well, you know, God must have did this. That shows your ignorance of the Word of God. I didn't say you were stupid. I said you were ignorant. There's a big difference. Ignorance is just a lack of information. Stupid is when you have the information and you choose not to believe it. So number one, God has gifted us with the ability to have faith. With the ability to trust, with the ability to believe him. We just read the scripture in Ephesians says it's a gift. Otherwise we'd be here on this earth and the devil could do anything he wants with us. Number two reason that God's given us faith is to overcome the adversities of life. Has anybody ever gone through any adversities? I don't know, I might be talking to the wrong crowd this morning. Anybody, let me see your hands. Anybody here ever gone through any kind of adversity? The rest of you are not sure, you're either drunk or you're not sure what. <laughs> so then these scriptures pertain to every one of us. First John chapter five. I love these two here, verse 4 and 5. Now I want you to hear this. I want you to think. I want you to act like you're hearing this for the first time. You ready? Yeah. For whatever is born of God, stop right there. Who's born of God? Come on, get your hands up. Who's born of God? Then the next part of this phrase pertains to you. For whatever, and we really should say whoever, whoever is born of God does what? Overcomes. That's it. Bottom line, overcomes. Doesn't say has the potential to overcome. Doesn't say once in a while overcomes. Doesn't say, well, sometimes you know we make it, sometimes we don't. It says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And he, now he's going to tell us how it happens. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Our faith. Our faith. Oh God, if you don't come through. Oh God, if you don't do something. Oh God, if you don't intervene. Oh God, oh God. If I was God, I'd sit there and go, tell him to stop. Tell them to stop. It says here, our faith overcomes the world. I'll give you a preview from a couple of weeks from now. Do you remember when Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and they're in the middle of the storm and the waves are overcoming the boat? Jesus, they wake him up. They say, uh, don't you care that we're going to drown? He gets up. He rebukes the wind. Rebukes, he tells, tells the water to, to calm. And then he turns to him and goes, what's the matter with you guys? Do you still have no faith? Jesus himself knew that it was their faith that could have overcome that storm. 
But because they didn't know it and because they refused to walk in it and because they didn't make the connection, they had just come from a major, major miracle that they saw him work and they were part of that miracle. He says, you still have no faith? He has an expectation that the faith that you have is gonna overcome every storm that comes against your life. You think he knows a couple of things? Dear God Almighty, if he believes that way, what should we be believing? You have the faith it takes to overcome every storm that's ever going to come against your life. You need to walk in it. You need to operate it. You need to activate it. You need to speak it. You need to believe it. He didn't leave us on this earth as a bunch of dummies who just get beat up by the enemy. He left us here on this earth to be witnesses to give evidence of God's goodness, of his love, of the faith that he's deposited in us. Now I know there's some of us that have suffered some things. There's some things that slipped in every once in a while. Maybe we got distracted, maybe whatever. Whatever, whatever happened doesn't matter. Pick up from this point forward and make that scripture. Put it back up again. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, verse five. In case, in case you didn't get it in verse 4, he who overcomes, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who what? Believes that Jesus is what? The Son of God. You catching this? If you're born of God, you overcome. If you overcome, it means it's because you have faith in the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's Word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.